0: Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, how's everybody doing today? Um, If you want to go and turn your Bibles to James chapter 1, we're going to start out there. We're starting a new sermon series today called The Ripple Effect. And today we're going to talk about the ripple effect of habitual sin. We're also going to talk about um, the ripple effects of different, uh, you know, things that we can do that make our lives better. But today we're going to talk about one that um, can echo in a, in, a, in a bad way, and that's the habitual sin. Everybody struggles with habitual sin. Okay, everybody struggles with something. You know, sometimes it's easy to point at that guy or that, that lady and think, man, I don't know, they, they shouldn't be doing that because it's not something that we struggle with. We don't all struggle equally with the same sins. But everybody has something that is just a lifetime or a continual struggle. And we're going to talk about today how to interrupt that pattern of habitual sin because it can cause great damage. And we're going to, we're going to kind of look at the, the diagram of sin and where we can stop that cycle of habitual sin. And so we're going to start, like I said, in James 1. We're going to be in 13 and 15. And uh, one of the things I want to tell you is just how much I appreciate uh, each of you and what you um, contributed to our church. I'm glad the holidays are over and we're in the new year, you know, because now I don't have to wake up and spend 30 minutes trying to remember what day of the week it is. Any of y'all have that problem? Man, holidays just mess me up. I'm like, you know, how many of y'all said at some point during the holidays, this just doesn't feel like a Tuesday? I mean, whatever day it was, it just kind of messes you up. And I'm glad to get back in a routine. And uh, I'm also, but I'm also thankful for what God did last year. Last year we baptized our 250th. Person of the Year. And uh, amen. That was, a, that was a great year. Um, that's way more than we've ever baptized in a year before. And this morning in our first service, we baptized our first three of 2024. So I'm glad that we were able to start out the same way that we ended. Um, but if you'd stand with me, please, in honor of the reading of God's word, James chapter one, verses 13 through 15. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me, God is never tempted to do, to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, one of the things that people—you know, when you, when you have a sin that you struggle with over and over again, you, you sometimes ask the question— Well, why did God make me this way? And some people even said, well, have used that as an excuse for giving in to those sins. Well, God made me this way, and so therefore, it's okay for me to do this. But the bottom line is, God gave us desire for a reason. It's when we allow those desires to take a path that is outside the will of God, that's when we get into the area of sin and one of the things that you know one of the things we're going to talk about today I'm using the example of sexual sin today because there's two or three reasons the Bible tells us that it that it has great effect on us it has a great ripple effect it's a sin against our own body the scripture tells us and yet on the other side of that uh, we need to be careful as the church to remember that sin is a gift from God and it's a good thing I'm I'm for sex. I'm a fan, okay? Some of y'all are like, oh my gosh, the preacher. Yep, I am, all right? It's in the Bible. And if you really want to read you want to read something really positive? Oh, did I say sin? Oops. Well, let me say again what I meant to say. Sex is a gift from God. And it's a good gift. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? All right, good. So, <laughs> not sin is a gift from God. All right. We'll just move on. Desire is not a sin, but unchecked, it can lead to sin. And so, I want us to see that, that sex is to be celebrated in the right context, and it is to be enjoyed, and it is a gift. But it's when we allow the desire for that to lead us outside God's will that it becomes a trap. And so we want to be careful. I want to look at the the, the desire first. The desire for sex is not a sin. It came from God. In Genesis 2, 21 through 25, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Now, I've read that verse hundreds of times in my lifetime. And I really came to the understanding when I was doing the research for this, that I've read it wrong. And there was one word that kind of jumped out at me. The, at last, the man exclaimed. And I thought, exclaimed, that's that's a very specific word. It's a word that's spoken with emotion, with deep feeling. And I started looking in the Bible, I thought, well, you know what, how many times is the word exclaimed in there? It's a little less than 70. And it, it was the word used when Esau found out that his brother had stolen his birthright. It was the word used when the the nursemaid found Moses, a baby in the river. It was the word that David used when Nathan confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba. It was the word Nebuchadnezzar used when he looked into the fire after throwing Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in and he saw four men, one of them like the son of God. He exclaimed. It was the word that is used when John sees Jesus and exclaims, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was the word that the disciples used when Jesus calmed the storms. It's the word that describes what the Roman centurion, the way he said, when the the earth shook and the earthquakes happened and, and the sky was blackened when Jesus passed. And he said, truly, this one was the Son of God. So now I'm going to go back and read a little bit of that again. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. Woo at last, the man exclaimed. God brought Adam after all day long, a name all these animals and seeing them paraded by, brought him a naked woman and he was happy. Okay, and desire was born. And the very next verses it talks about, this is why a man leaves his his father and mother and is joined to his wife. That's talking about the sexual act. And the two become, are united into one. Man, that that is the act of marriage. And as a matter of fact, it was so important that Cultures all over the world, many of them would have a marriage ceremony where somebody, a couple would do their vows, and then they would go into a room, consummate the marriage, and then come back out to where everyone was waiting. A lot of pressure there. <laughs> and then they would celebrate. You see, sex was I- integral to the marriage. You know, Martin Luther, who was the great reformer that changed, I mean, he's the father in some ways of all the modern-day churches that we know today, and when he was married, it was customary at that time that a witness went into the, the chambers where the bride and groom went and witnessed the consummation. Now, I, I, I'm, I ain't going to lie, that seems a little weird to me. Anybody else? I'm like, man, what? But here's the deal. It was, it was vital that the marriage be consummated, and sex was the means by which they did that. And you know, here's the thing, the Bible talks a lot about sex, and it's very plain. If you want to see some plain writings about sex, read Song of Solomon. I mean, really slowly and carefully read it. Now, some of it's disguised, but it's a thin disguise, people. There's all kinds of things in there that most of y'all had no idea was there. Some of y'all are like, all right, I don't don't read the Bible. I'm going to read that. I'm going to get home. So read it. Read it together as a couple and see what it has to say. The Bible's very open about sex. It says in the New Testament that the marriage bed is undefiled. It is a place for intimacy, for pleasure, and whatever a man and woman wanna do in there, that's up to them. Now, the only limitations are, the Bible also gives us another principle, that they're they're to please one another except when it violates one of their consciences. That's one of the principles of scripture, that hey, you're supposed to, to work together as a couple, but if someone says, hey, this, this, this doesn't feel right, or I, I, it, it, it bothers me, then we're to respect that. But sex itself is a desire, and the desire for sex comes from God, and it's an important part of being human. And here's another place where Paul talks about it, and I want to get into that in just a little bit because we really need to understand that desire is not a sin. But if we allow it to entice us away from the ways of God, it has great power to damage and to harm us. In 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 9, now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, and we don't know what those questions are, he said, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. Paul was single, never married. But because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Okay, so because of sexual immorality, because sex inside of marriage is a defense and it's a way to gratify those desires without causing damage, which happens when we do that outside of marriage. And so he said, hey, each man should have his own wife, each woman should have her own husband. "...the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs." Now that's pretty simple. Now once again, there's that conscious thing. Once again, it does not mean that you can't say no. Hey, I I don't feel good, whatever. But what what he gets into next is, and he says this, "...the wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations." Unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Now, maybe that was a thing back in the day of Paul, but I have not met a single person yet who's come to me and told me that they are refraining from sexual relations to devote themselves to prayer. If you've done that and you'd like to come share your experience with me, I'd be happy to hear. Because I've never done that either, I'm gonna be honest. But He says, look, you do that, which I don't know why you would, but if you do, that's fine. He says, but only do it for a short time and then come back together. Here's why. He says, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So it is a hedge against the temptations of the evil one because whatever God has given us as a good thing, Satan tries to pervert it and use it to destroy you. And so exercising the gift in the way that God intended is the way to defend against those temptations that Satan wants to destroy, He wants to use to destroy us. So now then he says, I say this as a concession, not as a command, but I wish everyone were single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. Now you might think that he's saying, well, you know, if you have to get married, go ahead. But here's the deal. All of us have preferences. Paul was designed to not be married so that he could spend, the, spend his, his life sharing the word of God. Now, Peter did it differently. He would take his wife on missionary journeys. But Paul said, hey, I wish you were like me. Because why? Because it'd be easier and there were more time. And here's the thing. We all kind of, whatever circumstance we're in, you ever met a married couple and they just kind of think everybody else ought to be married too. Or when somebody has a baby, they're like, why do not everybody else have it? It's so good and they love it so much that they want everybody else to do it too. And so Paul's preference was the way that he lived. He loved his gift that he'd been given and God fulfilled him through it. You know, it's probably by this point a well-known fact that I believe, which I think in, I haven't found in the Bible yet, but I'm still looking, that Blue Bell is by far the most superior ice cream that's out there. And there are people that will try to come and argue this fact with me on occasion. And there was one person who was so certain that I would recognize that I was wrong in my ways that they bought some, had some ice cream bought up where they're from, which was north, that's all I'm gonna say, and sent their Yankee ice cream down to me. I got nothing I love some of y'all Yankees, don't, don't get me wrong. But they had it shipped on dry ice. And I ate their ice cream and told them, yeah, it was good, but it's not as good as Bluebell. Because it's not. I mean, it's the, Bluebells are the best. But every, we all have our, they, they really love their ice cream, and I'm fine with that. I'm not a Bluebell missionary. I mean, I just state facts, okay? But here's the deal, okay? When, when we prefer something and God has given us or made us a certain way, we, we, we tend to want to, everybody else to experience the joy that we have. And so, but Paul was careful to say, everyone has their own gift from God. And if God's given you a gift towards marriage, here's what he, it also says this. So I say to those who aren't married and widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. Because he was being blessed through the gifts that God had given him. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. Now, He's not denigrating marriage here, but he is stating a fact. And one of the facts of life are this: that the sexual desire that we are born with, as we grow older, when that begins to strengthen and to grow, that should propel us towards marriage, because that's part of the reason that we have it. Is so that we would seek out someone. Now there are guidelines. It should be a believer. You want somebody that's equally yoked. You want people that are serving God. There, there's a, there's a parameter there, but it should propel us towards marriage. Now it doesn't mean, you, you, you know, as soon as you turn 17, you ought to get married because man, uh, the, the desire's there. But what it does mean is that you use that desire to be prepared, to become the kind of person that is ready to be married that is ready to take on that responsibility. And it may take a while, but you know what? We live in a culture now where they've tried to convince us, tried to tell people sex is no big deal. It's just a physical act. It's just pleasure, Everybody, you know, hey, do whatever you want to do. And as a result of that, without the strength of that desire propelling us towards marriage, you're finding there's some things happening in our country. People are getting married later and later and later in life. Part of getting married was starting a family. And you know what? That happens in different ways for people, whatever. But w- there's a couple of things that are happening is that marriages are becoming more infrequent and families are becoming smaller or there aren't families at all. And as a result, for the last numerous years, we're not even reproducing ourselves, much less being productive and filling our country. And so now we're seeing all kinds of problems that are coming as a result of that, that we're not even reproducing our ourselves. And so here's the deal is one of the main things that propelled people to do that. Now, I know you say, oh, well, shouldn't it be all spiritual and You know, it ought to be totally outside of desire. Yes, there are spiritual elements, but desire is part of that. When Adam looked over and saw this naked woman that God was giving him, he didn't go, oh, this is cool spiritually. That came later. Desire happened first. Y'all understand what I'm saying? He went, oh, yeah. And for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father, and the two shall become one flesh. Desire was part of the first marriage, and it should be part now. But when we are able to fill that desire in ways that are outside of God's plan, what happens is fewer and fewer people are following God's plan. And now we have all kinds of sexual immorality. And now we have all kinds of issues. So Paul says, look, It's better to marry than to burn with lust. That should be, if you have that desire and it's strong in you and you're single, then that should be a desire. That should be part of the propulsion to get ready to be married. You know, one of the things you find is there's lots of people that aren't getting ready to be married. You know what they're doing? They're not, hey, I can remember thinking, man, I got to get a job. I got to be able to support a wife. I worked towards that. I wanted that to happen. And without that, being propelling people that way, that's one of the reasons why people are living in their parents' basements till they're 35 years old. Playing video games 23 hours a day. Because they're not being propelled by that desire towards God's plan. Desire is given to us to push us towards doing things God's way. Satan wants to use that desire to pull us away from doing things God's way. So that's part of that's the issue with desire. Desire is from God, but it was meant to propel us towards his plan, not away from it. When the enemy uses desire, he's going to pull us away. Okay? Now, I want to talk about habitual sin. That's where, those are the things that we continue to struggle with. We do over and over again. They have effects in our lives. And they don't, sin doesn't just happen. You're not walking down the road, reading the Bible, humming amazing grace, and boom, you just sin. Okay. Now I get it. There can be a thought that crosses your mind. Something happens. You know, and 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 there can be a moment there. But habitual sin is something that has a pattern. And that pattern was outlined there, the verses I read you in Ephesians. Here's what it says. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and then drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when it is allowed to grow, when it's allowed to become habitual, it gives birth to death. So there's a a passage in in Proverbs where the writer of Proverbs goes through the whole story about a man who goes and he goes to a, a harlot, a woman of the night, and he gives in to her. And then it talks about his end. There's a whole passage about how that takes place. And it's an analogy about how sin happens okay? It's not primarily about a man and a woman. It's about sin and how it operates and what happens. And so we're going to look at that. It's Proverbs 7, if you want to look there. And it begins in the mind, okay? While I was at the window of my house looking through the curtain, I saw some naive young men and one in particular who lacked common sense, okay? It begins in our mind. In our mind, we become open to it. We allow our desire to become thought patterns, and we think about how we can fulfill it, and we think about ways, and we indulge in it. It says in Romans 13, 13 through 14, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness, or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living, or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, close yourself, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. It begins here. We start thinking about ways to indulge our desires. How could I fulfill that? You know, what could I do? What are ways? And so it begins in our mind. Okay? Like I said, nobody just, you know, now people want to say, I, I don't know, it just happened. But it didn't just happen. It took several steps. It took several choices. And when there are several steps and several choices, there are several opportunities for us to change the path. And the first one is in our mind. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. So when those thoughts come into our mind, you know, maybe we see something and it triggers something or maybe we remember something. And it may just be a random thing, but we have the opportunity at that point to either indulge in our minds about indulging those desires or we can choose to stop. We can take that thought captive in obedience to Christ. In 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about, hey, let your mind dwell on these things and whatever's honorable, whatever's good, whatever's right. It gives a whole list, whatever is beautiful and of good repute. Let your mind dwell on these things. So you have a choice. You know what? I'm not going down that path. I'm not going down that road in my mind. I'm going to take that thought captive, and I'm going to go a different way. I'm going to teach my mind to obey Christ. And so we can choose not to fantasize or to think about ways to indulge those desires when it comes into our mind. Now, if you're a married person and that thought comes in your mind, Think about your spouse. That's perfectly acceptable and perfectly good. Okay? Because that desire with your spouse is given to you by God. And so choose to change the way that you're thinking. If you're single, think about things, uh, ways that you can serve God, that you can be closer to Christ, that you can do things that are honorable and serve other people. Find ways to use those thoughts and to take them captive. Now the second way we can fight it is because it happens first in our mind and then it happens with our feet. Is in this young man's mind, he lacks common sense. So he's made a plan now about indulging his desires. So here's what we see next. In in Proverbs 7, 8, and 9, he was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman, strolling, strolling down the path by her house, okay? It was twilight in the evening as deep darkness fell. So he chose a time where he thought he would be able to do it without being able to be seen, without being seen. He chose to go in the path near her house. Now, later on in this passage, it talks about, hey, she was all over the city. Everybody knew who she was. Everybody knew where she lived. He chose to take this path to her house. So we choose sometimes to put ourselves in places of temptation. You know, we we like to flirt with sin sometimes. And to do that, we get up close to it. Here's some things to do is to choose with your feet to go in a different direction. If you're struggling with alcoholism, stay away from places where they're drinking alcohol. Stay away from parties where you know it's going to be. If you're struggling with sexual immorality, stay away from places where the opportunity presents itself to indulge in that outside of God's will. Stay away from it. That's your best defense. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 4, 14 through 15, don't do as the wicked do and don't follow the path of evildoers. Don't follow their path. Don't even think about it. Don't go that way. Turn away and keep moving. So the first thing that he did was he could have chosen to think about something else. He could have taken that thought captive. He didn't. So what did he do next? Next, he goes in proximity of it. You know, I've had people through the years, you know, ask, well, you know, what. At what point does it become sin? And what they're asking is, how close can I get to that? How much can I flirt with it without it becoming sin? And you know what I tell them, dude, you've already crossed the line. If it's in your thought about how close I can get to it without, you've already allowed that into your heart. And you know what? Nowhere in the Bible does it say, thou shalt get as close as I can to sin without actually sinning. You know what it tells us to do? Flee from it. Get away from it. And we all think we're stronger than we are. Oh, well, I could do that without, without, you know, letting go and and sinning. You can't. Nobody's that strong. We all think we are, but we're not. The best thing to do is stay away from it. And you know what? If your friends are people that are going to encourage you to do things that are outside God's will... You can love them, you can be friends with them, but stay away from them, get some distance. Because if they're encouraging you, they're encouraging you down the road of death. That's what sin leads to, is death and destruction, and it can have ripples. So be careful, okay? Now, so there you go. They let it go in their mind, this guy did. Now he's down near her house, and now the woman comes out to him. He still can say no, but it's going to be harder now, isn't it? Because now the temptation is right there. But he could still choose not to. Here's what it says. The woman approached him, seductively dressed and sly of heart. She was the brash, rebellious type, never content to stay at home. She is often in the streets and markets, soliciting at every corner. Everybody knew who she was. Everybody knew what she was doing. She threw her arms around him and kissed him. And with a brazen look, she said, I've just made my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows. They may even come to you spouting religious things. You know, here's the deal. Just because a guy agrees to come to church with you doesn't mean he's a follower of Christ. And I, girls I'm a, and guys, same thing. I'm going to tell you right straight up. A guy will do or say anything to get what he wants particularly when he doesn't know the Lord. And that's not a sign of spirituality. That is a sign of selfishness. And that they're willing to put their needs over yours, and they're willing to say whatever they need to, whether it's true or not, to get from you what they want. And then she says this, you're the one I was looking for. That's what they'll tell you. Oh, I've never met anybody like you. It's different with you. I mean, there's something about you. That's how temptation works. Don't listen to their words. Look at their actions. Look at their life. Just because somebody says, yeah, I'll go to church with you, that doesn't mean they're following Jesus. Look at somebody that has a church that's following Christ. Christ. And if you're single and you're wanting to meet a godly woman, a woman that you can live life with and please God with and build a family and have a a, a life that is good and righteous, look for somebody that's doing those things. And if you want to find that kind of person, you need to be that kind of person. So look, you're the one I was looking. I came out to find you and here you are. My bed is spread with beautiful blankets, with colored sheets of Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloe, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink our fill of love until morning. Let's enjoy each other's caresses. For my husband is not home. He's away on a long trip. He has taken a wallet full of money with him and won't return until later this month. And that's the other part of temptation. It'll tell you, don't worry. Nobody will ever know. You won't get caught. And it's a lie. You want to know why? Your sin will find you out. Those things that are done in the darkness will be brought to the light. And that's not talking about, man, that time you just blew it in a a heated moment. You said something you shouldn't have or whatever. That's talking about those habitual sins that not only do you keep doing, but you have to keep hiding them. They'll promise that nobody will ever find out. But that's a lie. Now, here's the thing. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us that he will not allow you to be, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can stand. So even when you're in that moment and you've blown the first part, you've indulged it in your mind, and now you've gone there where you're close to it, and, and, and now there's actually an opportunity to sin, the Bible tells us there's still a way out. Now, it's going to be harder now, but there's still a way out. And there's nobody can say, I just couldn't help it. There was nothing I could do. It just happened to me. It didn't just happen. He's at another point of choice. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out. So that you can endure. There's going to be a moment there where you're like, man, I probably shouldn't do this. That's God giving you an out. I I can't. I got to go. Romans 6.18, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. So how do we do it? We we gotta choose to resist. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. You gotta be firm. You gotta you gotta say no. Well, but I might hurt their feelings or I might then you're making a choice. There's a way out. If you choose to go through with it, understand there's a bill going to come due. Here's the next part of this passage. So she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. He followed her at once. You know what I mean? In a moment he chose, he made a decision and he went down that road like an ox going to the slaughter. He was like a stag caught in a trip, in a trap, awaiting the arrow that would pierce his heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. That's the way sin works. Now I want to talk to three groups of people here, okay? There are those of you who are single. Single. And you have that desire and you, you, you want, you have that desire for, for physical relations with someone of the opposite sex. Use that as a means to drive you towards God's plan of finding the right person. And choose not to fulfill those desires outside of his will and his way. Because here's the thing, and, and I'm going to talk to the next group of people along with this. And that's, there, there are some of you that have already, that have fallen to this sin. Some of you are married, some of you are single. And here's the good news. God forgives. And God, there's not, there's not this is not a message about, hey, if, you, if you've fallen or blown this, then you know, your life's messed up from here on out. God can still use your marriage. But you have to choose to submit it to him. If you're single, choose to submit your sexual desires to God's will. Repent of your what's going on. Some of y'all are living in habitual sin right now sexually. Repent of it. What does that mean? Stop doing it. The best time to say no is when it starts in your mind. The next best time is when you come close and, and you have the opportunity to walk near it. The third best time is when you're faced with that opportunity and you say no. And the next best time is right now. Turn away from it. The Bible says repent. You know what repent means? Turn away from that sin. The best time to repent is right now. Not a month from now, 6 months from now, a year from now. If you're living with somebody that you're not married to, you got two choices: either move out and stop or that you can go down tomorrow to the courthouse and get a marriage license. And in 72 hours, you got a 72 hour waiting period. Y'all come up here, and there are several people in our, in our offices that will marry you right then. I've married people, I, I've married couples in my office after a church service. you are like, we want to we do this right. We want to get this right. I'll, I'll marry you right there, right then. And there's several people. If I'm not here, there's other guys that are here that can do it. So, well, but I want to do, Ben, if you want to plan a a wedding a year from now, move out until then and stop. Stop sinning in the meantime. Don't think just because you set a wedding date eight months down the road that what you're going to continue doing is not still sin, it is. Now, I know I'm speaking really plain here. I get that. But the Bible speaks plainly about these things. And understand something, there's consequences if you don't. And one of the biggest consequences is this. One of the things I would be concerned about is if you can continue going on in habitual sin and just doing it over and over again. You know what the Bible says? You really need to check make sure you're saved. Because understand, hell is going to be filled with people who thought they were going to heaven. There's going to be a lot of people in hell that thought they were going to heaven. Jesus says on that day, many, will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? We went to church. We were good people. And he's going to say, away from me, sowers of iniquity, I never knew you. The Bible talks about that when we continually engage in disobedience to God, that we run the risk of a seared conscience that won't allow us to even know the difference anymore between sin and righteousness. Or if we do, it's kind of like, yeah, I know it's wrong, but whatever. So I'm not trying to convince you if you're saved that you're lost. I'm not trying to do that. Once you're saved, you're always saved. But I'm telling you, those, some of those behaviors are signs scripturally that you are not saved. And so you might need to take stock. If you're a believer, it ought to prick your heart that you continue to do things that grieve the heart of God and that put Jesus on the cross. So if you're doing that, repent. There's value in repenting. There's value in starting, you know what, today I'm going to do it right, and I'm going to start a new ripple effect. Now, for those of you who have already done that, maybe you're married, maybe, that's happened, maybe you have past. Everybody has some kind of past. It doesn't have to be in this area, but everybody's got something. But if, if there's been sexual sin in your life and you're now married, understand something. Those, those sins are forgiven. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. But it does leave scars. I just bit my tongue. I don't know if y'all can tell. Man, I did that in the early service too. But there, there, will, there will be scars. You know how you deal with it? By being open and honest with each other. And working through the scars. And here's, here's what the Bible says. He works all things to good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Even your scars, God can use to bring great things to your marriage. But you got to be, be open. You know, one of the things you look at is if you're protecting the means for your sin. You know, my wife has the... My passwords, she can look at my phone, my iPad, my computer, anytime she wants, and look through anything she wants to. And I'm going to tell you right here, some of y'all are sitting next to your spouses, a lot of you are, I'm going to tell you right now, there is no reason why your spouse should not be able to look at your phone. The only exception might be, if you're like super secret agent dude or lady, and you have within your phone the top secret files to destroy the world, then yeah, maybe don't let them. But outside of that, they ought to be able to look at anything in your phone. They ought to be able to see anything in there. And if you're trying to protect something and keep them from seeing something because you think you're keeping it secret, that's going to destroy you. The first thing you got to do is release and stop protecting the means that you are using to sin. Let them set up things on your on your phone or your computer protections that keep you from being able to do certain things. It can be inconvenient, but it's worth it. So start today by repenting and by coming together and being open and moving forward. You got to be open with each other. You got to break the cycle. The last thing that, that Solomon says, So listen to me, my sons, and pay attention to my words. Don't let your hearts stray away toward her. Don't wander down her wayward path, for she has been the ruin of many. Many men have been her victims. Her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den of death. You know, there have been many times people come to me and say, Man, I got off track here, and it cost me. It cost me my marriage. I wish I'd listened to God then. I wish I'd listened to godly counsel. I've had a number of people say that through the years. I've thought that about different things. You know what? I I've thought, man, I wish I'd done this differently, the way God intended. But there's not one time that I've ever had anybody come to me or I've ever even thought to myself, man, you know what? Golly, I wish I hadn't done that God's way. I wish I'd sinned right there. That would have been so much better. Not one time have I ever said that. So break the cycle now and start a new way. Is it going to be easy? No, desire is strong, but it's worth it. And given into desire in ways that are outside. See, sex is a powerful tool. There's nothing else that you can do. The world's trying to say it's no big deal. It's just a physical act. Everybody ought to do it. But the Bible tells us that when you do that, you become one flesh. That is beyond a physical act. There is a supernatural power that goes along with sex. And it is a good and a beautiful thing. But like any powerful and strong and good thing, if you misuse it, it has the power to do great harm. And so God says, man, I'm going to give you this amazing gift. And you can exercise it with the person that you're married to. And it's going to be great. But be careful. Be careful. You know, my, my son's about to get his driver's license, and I'm excited about not having to take him to baseball practice and other stuff. I am. I'm kind of, yeah, that's going to be cool. So it's, it's going to be a good gift to him. There's some freedom to it. But along with that comes, man, but this, I've, had, I've tried over and over again. Parents try with their kids. Hey, this is a, a one-ton piece of machinery and metal, and it can hurt people, and you can be hurt by it. And you better be careful. It's a gift. And it'll allow you to do some things, but if you don't use it the right way, it can be very dangerous. So be careful. Hey, enjoy it, but use it the right way. Those desires that God's given you, whether it's to do well and work, to, to be successful, to do this, whatever those desires are, those are good things. But make sure they're honoring God And following his plan. Because that's when those desires, man, are really good. And they're guilt free. Desires are not bad. But make sure that we're not abusing the gifts that God's given us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? You know, the first step... I'm going to ask you, do you have a relationship with Christ? I don't want to know how much you know about him. I don't care about if your parents know him. I mean, that's great if they do and they raised you up. That's a great bonus. And that's a blessing. But ultimately, every one of us has to make that decision for ourselves. And my question to you is, do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with him? And here's how you begin a relationship with Christ. You got to admit you're a sinner. The Bible says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We got to come before God and say, God, I have sinned against you. Forgive me. The second thing is you got to believe in Jesus, that he's God's son, God in the flesh. He's not just some man. He came. He lived without sin. He died on the cross for my sins and for yours. And he rose on the third day to prove who he is and to give us life. And then the last thing is you gotta confess him as Lord. That means you're gonna live his way, that he's gonna be the boss. And here's the thing, he always wants the absolute best for you. But Romans 10, 9, 10 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you've not done those things, we want to give you the opportunity to do it today. So I'm going to lead you in a brief prayer of salvation. Just pray it in your heart. You can repeat it after me or you can pray it in your own words. But if you'd like to know that you're right with God, that your sins are forgiven, that you're adopted into his family as a son or a daughter, you pray this with me right now. Dear God, thank you for loving me and thank you for Jesus. God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and life, cleanse me. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose on the third day to give me life. So today, I trust Jesus as my savior And I confess him as my Lord. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to call you out. But if you prayed that prayer day and you meant it, I want to pray for you in just a moment. And so here's what I want you to do. I just want you to look up at me and keep looking until I see you. If you prayed that prayer day and you meant it, you look up at me right now. Okay, I got you. Got you. All right. I see you. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Got you. Okay. All right. I see you. Okay. Okay. All right. All right, got you. Okay. Now here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to tell someone. There's a number on your screen. You can just text SAVED to that number. And somebody from our church will get back with you. We'd like to set up a time to talk to you and answer any questions you have and then talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. We don't want anything from you. We're not going to put you on a mailing list. We really want to pray with you, encourage you, and help you. And we'd love the opportunity to do that. If you're here with your parents, tell your parents and they can contact us. Just tell them that you prayed that prayer with Pastor Brian to ask Jesus into your heart. And we have people that are trained to talk to to children. We'd love to do that as well. But it is important that you tell someone. So tell somebody about your new decision to follow Christ. And so right now I wanna pray for you and I wanna pray for each of us. Because look, I want you to understand something. We all struggle with sin. Every single one of us, me included. But there are ways that the Bible has pointed out that we can break the cycle of habitual sin. But we have to choose God's given us the power. If you're thinking, well, I can't do it, you can. That's a lie from the enemy that you can't do it. You have everything you need. The power of sin is already broken by Jesus on the cross. We just have to walk in it. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for these that have come today to the saving knowledge of Christ. I thank you for your blessing. I thank you for your mercy. And Father, I pray for each of us, Lord, as we seek To find ways to live lives that are pleasing to you. That God, you would help us, Lord, to recognize the deceitful lies of the enemy. And to come against those with spiritual weapons. The word of God. And your truth. And Father, I pray and we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.